Today's podcast is sponsored by MPB, the online pricing engine that provides the right price for any camera or lens. Get free kit pickup and get paid within days or without leaving your home. How much could you get? Find out with a free instant quote at www.mpb.com forward slash sell. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast. We're live tonight. If you're joining us on YouTube, it is Monday the 24th of July. And joining me tonight are regulars. We've got Ian Colin, Ed Selly, Julian Scott and Martin Jew. Good evening, guys. Hello, sir. Hi. Uh, lots to get through. Uh, we haven't been around for a couple of weeks, uh, so we've got lots to talk about tonight. We're going to be talking about mini LED TV reviews and uh, in particular the Hisense U7K, which is sitting behind me uh, there at the moment. It is currently uh, for review and I'll give you a quick preview of that and some of the mini LED TVs I've been looking at. Uh, Martin's going to be looking at a low-profile space-saving earthquake couch potato find out what it is a little bit later on in the podcast. Ed's going to be talking about Blue Sound Power Mode X. Uh, we've got our usual TV, home cinema and hi-fi news from Ian. And of course, we're going to answer your questions tonight. So if you are uh, joining us live, the chat window is open. Uh, so you can join us there, um, ask your questions. We'll try and answer them uh, this evening. If you listen a little bit later on to the recorded version, uh, you can still get in touch with us. You can leave your comments uh, in the thread uh, related to this podcast on AV Forums. Just go to AV Forums, go down to the bottom of the forum list. Uh, you'll find the podcast forum. Find this episode and leave us your feedback in there or your questions or whatever. We'll get around to answering them at some point. Um, and, of course, you can also email us uh, old-fashioned way, but you can still email us at podcast at avforums.com. And, again, we will get around to answering some of your questions uh, as they come through. Uh, from the podcast on the 10th of July, uh, in relation to the Perliston R-Series Home Cinema Speaker Review, uh, which Doug uh, very kindly took us through on that podcast, uh, Unground comments that he, he found a very enjoyable podcast, thanks to all, and in particular, Doug's uh, explanation of what makes the Perliston so good and his honest description of the limits of audibility and uh, memory and so on. Um, you very much uh, appreciated his comments there, so thank you very much for your feedback. And from the podcast on the 12th of June, so we're going back to something here, um, from Jeffran171, he asks, Martin, who did the repair on your Parasound? So uh, who did the repair on your Parasound, Martin? Well, I asked the distributor, uh, Connected Distribution in Cheltenham, no less. Uh, Mike and Phil there told me to go to a chap called Peter Ellison in Cardiff. And Peter Ellison has his workshop above Audio T, the retail store in Cardiff, but they're not related. Uh, so when you take your amplifier in to Peter Ellison, the audio T guys will show you through to the back of the room because, like I said, they're not related. And um, even though Peter Ellison, I think, used to be an employee of audio T. Now, <clears throat> I got my HCA 2003, which is a three channel amplifier <clears throat> serviced by Peter just a couple of months ago. Now, the problem was that the output relays had um, oxidized and we're not making a good connection. So he cleaned them up, but he said, I would need new output relays. I've now since been in touch with the CEO, um, David Sheriff at Parasound in San Francisco. And actually we've just been exchanging emails today on this very subject. 
Um, Parasound no longer has any parts for the HCA series. I should say only limited parts. They've got some uh, power switches and feet, but pretty much nothing else. They sold all their supplies to a, an AV company, repair company in LA called George Meyer AV. He doesn't have any of the output relays either. Now, I have been told by Audio T in Cardiff, Peter Ellison, he's told me I will need new output relays at some point. But uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like anybody's ever going to have them or be able to find them. But anyway, notwithstanding, that's a side note. If you need your HCA amp repaired, go to Peter Ellison in Cardiff. But like I said, he might not have the parts that you need. But I suspect, given your problem uh, that you've submitted here, it will be to do with uh, leaky capacitors rather than something mechanical. But I don't know, and you won't know until you speak to Peter. Yeah, give him a phone call. Don't drive all the way to Cardiff and find out he hasn't got the yeah, bits. Give, give him a phone call. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he's very good, by the way, very good. Yeah, excellent. Uh, right, so hopefully that answers your question. And if you've got questions, get them in. Um, we'll, we'll answer them. Anything within reason, we, we'll answer. Uh, right, so before we get started tonight on the podcast, uh, what have we been up to, Ed? Sorry, I had me muted there. Um, I have been doing uh, mostly normal things. Uh, the only point of mild excitement was um, this weekend, uh, I introduced my girlfriend and her children to my parents. And uh, I mean, obviously, that was uh, slightly nerve wracking, but uh, it went pretty well. No fatalities. So, um, you know, that was good. Um, otherwise, I've been plowing through uh, a variety of, uh, of items uh, in, uh, in for review, both for, for AVF and, and for other people. Um, Lots and lots of, of random items, uh, hopefully some interesting bits and bobs uh, coming through, which I'll update the in-house spreadsheet for, Phil, don't worry. Um, and uh, then other, other other peculiar items as well. Uh, and then, um, as we never talk about uh, television at the end of the podcast, because we would run out of time, uh, I'm delighted that Foundation is back on Apple TV. And it's still bonkers, and it's still taking enormous liberties with the book because it has to take enormous liberties with the book but it's still one of the most beautiful television programs i've ever seen so that's back on and i'm happy with that excellent good stuff uh jules what have you been up to well yeah i couldn't make the last podcast i was away in bridlington Ooh, right. uh, <laughs> yes it gets very exotic doesn't it yes yeah. we've just discovered the yorkshire coastline so we were yeah, Whitby right. a while back and we're going back to whitby later on yeah. Uh, one thing that will interest you, Phil, is I was going for a jog on the promenade mm -hmm. and uh, decided to go up to the. Uh, it's a, there's a higher bit, and you go through two. You know, go through a, a set of bushes. <laughs> I don't know why I, uh, that 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 bit shouldn't interest you, but when I came in, <laughs> when I when I came out through these bushes, there were thousands of runners, like a bomber stream. I was like, "What the hell is this?" You know. So I was just caught up in the flow of these these runners. Of course, it was park run. I've never park done park run. before. Yeah. Never done yeah. it before. Um, they were going quite a pace as well. So, um, but uh, I was going in that direction anyway. So I joined in. Yeah, oh, it's good. To, it, it, yeah. Park runs all over the country. Um, there'll, there'll be park runs local to you all over the country. It's uh, it's it's my favourite little thing to do on a Saturday. Yes, because you, you're massively into it now, aren't you? Uh, elite athlete. These yeah, days. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. 
Um, yeah. yeah, good stuff. Bread, uh, been to bread uh, quite recently, actually. Myself. I've never yeah, been. Right I can only remember that Viz spoof poster which sim- with the fat slags on it, which simply says, Bridlington, it's full of slags. So <laughs> I, I apologise um, to people who are resident in Bridlington, because I'm sure yeah. that's very unfair, but it's, it's the only thing I can remember about it. It's full of noisy seagulls. The seagulls are, you know, you need you need earplugs if you're going to stay in Bridlington, because they are they are making one hell of a racket. Day yeah, and they, night. They're never going to rest. Do you remember the Skegness t-shirt, Ed? I think it said, come to Skeg- Skegness, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, th- those that was a great a great book of them there was also there was uh, on the uh, dig for victory thing there was shag for victory as well so you know, <laughs> they, they they covered all the bases so. good stuff uh, but yeah if you get a chance to go bread it's lovely it really is it's, it's a nice yeah. course there and, and they've got a nice theater there as well a big arc yeah the bastille going... bastille were on when, yeah. when we were there yeah um never heard of them but i guess they're big there you go um so you mentioned running. I did my first run event recently. Uh, Durham yeah. City Run, five uh, k and ten k. I did the five k. I'm Amazing. not quite up to not quite up to ten k yet, but um, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It absolutely chucked it down. Yeah. Soaked to the skin, uh, but thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great fun, and the people lying in the streets giving you encouragement and cheering you on and all the rest. Of it. And of course, the finish was at the cathedral, but you got to get up there, and that was the last leg. Um, and the thing was, we came through the shopping centre, and I thought, oh, we'll, we'll just turn left here because the cathedral's up there. And we must be near the end now because I just checked my watch. No, I had to double back and go back up another hill and turn and come back. So that was the heartbreaking bit because I thought I'd, I'd already prepared myself mentally that I'm up the hill now to the cathedral. No, I had to go the other way, then up the hill to the cathedral. So. Yeah, getting into this. And, and is it all cobbled streets up to the cathedral? The, the last bit is cobbled. Yeah. And of course, it yeah, was absolutely chucking, chucking yeah. it down the rain. So very, very slidey. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But yeah, um, thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, and also getting back into the car club and that kind of thing in my spare time. So it's nice to have an interest. When your hobby becomes your full-time job, it's nice to have another interest that you can get away from and people aren't asking you what's the best TV under 500 quid that can buy <laughs> Every five minutes of the day, um, so yeah, we can get back into that. Uh, you managed to get out of the house, Ian. No, you're making me feel quite guilty now. The only thing that I've been running is my Xbox. It's <laughs> about as much mileage as I get out of everything. But I mean, I actually did quite the opposite. I gave myself the very rare luxury of a whole weekend off. So a weekend where oh, I just okay. set aside, just had no work, no short. Well, even though I should technically have been doing a few bits and pieces, I just ignored everything, left Skype closed, email closed, everything, and just shut down for a weekend which was just a rare luxury to me xbox television lots of sports on tv uh it was yeah it was just really nice just to effectively just get away from out of the office which is very hard to do when you work from home but to actually get out of the office for a weekend was quite nice yeah no it it is um i think people think working from home is easy no 20 years of it i still struggle with it making that separation and it's difficult uh, so, Martin, when you're not uh, phoning up CEO companies uh, and pestering them for free fixes on your amplifiers, what else have you been up to? Uh, delivering some more trainings, dealer trainings at Habitech in Basingstoke. Um, also, since I last saw you all, uh, we had Henley Royal Regatta here in Henley, where I live. And usually, uh, because of my stroke, our family's history with that event, it's usually pretty busy. But anyway, it's great fun. Um, I think I've been to the cinema a couple of times. I've been to see the new Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible Seven, Dead Rock and Reckoning. 
I really enjoyed Indy 5. I didn't realize, I didn't understand all these sort of lukewarm reviews. Yes, the ending is a bit over top, but over the top, but I think the set pieces along the way are as good as anything from the Spielberg um the, the Spielberg entries. So I was pretty impressed and uh, I loved Mission Impossible 7 a little too long though. Yeah. I unfortunately I'm getting dragged to the Barbie movie this. <laughs> so, uh, Barbie I, I went, I wanted to see Oppenheimer, but I'm getting dragged to uh, Barbie because uh, we've got the grandkids this weekend. So, unfortunately, I'm getting a, a pink shirt and I have to go. I okay. think it's uh, all the feedback I have suggests that it's wildly entertaining. Yeah. Um, and yeah. probably, I have to say, considerably less gloomy than Oppenheimer. <laughs> um, I mean, I went to see Mission Impossible. I didn't, I forgot to say that. I went, I went to the cinema of my wow. own edition. Excellent. Um, which was exciting. Well, we, we um, wanted to go and couldn't get in anywhere because it was a rain because of the rain. Obviously, yeah, yeah it's November yeah. already. Uh, everything booked out, fully booked out. Couldn't get in to see anything. So you're lucky that you got in there. Ed. I'm, I'm oh, going you should have see... come to Milton Keynes. Oh, we we went to see it in the IMAX, and I would put it at somewhere between ten and fifteen percent full. Um, honestly, really, so, well, yeah. we struggle to get tickets for anything. So. I'm going to um, BFI IMAX tomorrow to see Oppenheimer tomorrow afternoon. All right, you'll, you'll enjoy that then. And that's 1570 projection. So that really yeah. is a special event. I'm yeah. so much looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's been a few comments on, on Twitter just how fantastic it looks in 70. So you'll yeah. enjoy that. You really yeah. will. Uh, right, so that's us all caught up. We just got need to do competitions before we move on. So, um, Ed, competitions? Yes. Right. Excuse me. Oh, it's just rebooting itself. Right. Okay. You can win. Open to all uh, is a Humax A1 4K Ultra HD streaming box and three Humax Wi-Fi smart plugs bundles. Uh, that closes on Wednesday, the 26th of July at midnight. So if you're listening to this after that point, I'm sorry, that's no longer a goer. But if you're listening to it now, just get stuck in. Exclusive offers for patrons include Super Mario Brothers movie on Blu-ray. Now, is that the Bob Hoskins one? Oh, I don't know. If it is, I, I have to admit that uh, it's so dreadful. It's actually magnificent. Um, so yeah, that's a, a very very good. Oh, if it's a new one, then it's irrelevant. Um, Justice League <laughs> War World on Blu-ray. Um, Evil Dead Rise limited edition 4K UHD bundle with T-shirt and poster. That sounds quite cool. Uh, and then additionally, Scream Six on Blu-ray, Sci-Fi Fic Lola on Blu-ray, The Black Demon on Blu-ray, the John Donnie Yen directed starring Sakura on Blu-ray, Neil Marshall's latest The Lair on Blu-ray, Ride On starring Jackie Chan on Blu-ray, Frontiers limited edition Blu-ray. Body Horror May on Blu-ray, and Cosa Nostra, three film collections starring uh, legend Franco Nero, limited edition Blu-ray. Head on over to abforums.com forward slash competitions to enter. All competitions are open to eligible AB Forums members or patrons resident in the UK. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Ed. There are no previous uh, competition winners to read out this week. Uh, there will be soon because uh, mm. people well, have the been winning Spears and so... collection uh, competitions. Yes, yes. Um, actually, I could have done that. Um, I could have told you who the winners are, but um, no. You'll have to they, wait. You know, they know who they know who they are, and yeah. if you haven't been informed that you've won one, I'm afraid you haven't. So there you go. That's a good way of putting it, Ed. Uh, Martin, new patrons. Uh, yes, we have one new patron, Mark B. Thank you very much, Mark B. Uh, it really is appreciated. Thank you very much for all your support, and thanks to all the patrons uh, for your support. It really is appreciated. Right, time to get on with the show.
So moving on to TV, lots to get through TV wise at the moment. I've uh, got Hisense behind me. I've been retesting the Samsung S95C sitting next to me here. Uh, new Panasonic's arrived as well. So I've got the MZ980, it turned up recently. And I've also got two TCLs uh, to look at at the moment, the C845 and the C745. So lots of TVs, we're gonna come back to the Hisense in a minute, but there has been some TV news here. Um, so why don't you tell us about Larva? Yeah, Lerva, um, quite literally expanding its build uh, i-series um, with the announcement that it's adding a 77-inch OLED model alongside the existing 48, 55 and 65-inch options that are already available. Uh, the TV gets the full title of the build i77DR Plus because it also comes with the one terabyte hard disk recorder that we've seen previously in the range. There's also support for the likes of Dolby Vision as well as HDR10. Uh, and it also comes with the company's latest OS7 smart TV platform. Uh, perhaps the most notable thing about it is the price, um, with the i77 coming in at £5,999, which is still an awful lot of money, but it's not quite as much as Lerv's other uh, existing 77-inch OLED, which is the S77, which launched a couple of years ago and is still likely to set you back the best part of £10,000. So mm -hmm. even though you can technically call it the budget model in the uh, Lerv range, it's still you know a rather yeah. more affordable price point for people who want to get And of course, Lerv, it's all about design and, and function and so on it's not necessarily just about the the panel that's that's being used so yeah uh 77 inch it's becoming quite a regular size now oled wise uh and um lots of manufacturers reporting that that's the size they're going for at the minute because that's where uh, new business is coming in and roku uh really making a storm on the market or, or an assault on the market i should say at the minute ian uh, lots of people announcing roku tvs around about the entry-level price points. Yeah, Sharp, uh, the latest company to get on the, the Roku uh, production line. Uh, but he's very much come in the, the rather more affordable window compared to the Lerv TVs. Um, but the new, uh, the Sharp Roku TV range is set to start rolling out in August. Uh, don't have all the details on the specific models, although I've got good reason to suspect it will be called the FD series. Um, but as the name suggests, these are Sharp TVs, so they'll be running the latest uh, Roku OS. Uh, what we do know is that the screens will be available in 24 to 65 inch sizes with a combination of 4K and HD displays, presumably smaller ones will be HD, larger ones will be 4K. And those 4K models also come with Dolby Vision along with HDR10, HLG, and Dolby Audio. Um, talking of the prices though, these start at just £150 and go up to £450, which sounds very much like you could be able to get your hands on a 65 inch OLED uh for as little as 450 pounds you know and even though it's no, not likely to compare with some of the big name brands out there it's be. still a decent price tag for, for some people in the current climate that's not going to be an oled at that price uh what's the details that i've got hang on have i, have I put oled in by mistake yeah no it's not oled sorry yeah I, 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 that's that's quid. i'll see you later yeah. i'm off to get yeah. one yeah. no no that's that's very much a typo let's just yeah. let me delete the o <laughs> in that, that. Right. Okay. that's because okay. i've been doing because I, I wrote up the lever story before it's like i said oh on my mind yes 450 yeah. pounds for 65 inch led would be a bargain price but 450 pounds for a 65 inch likely to be an led lcd is still yeah. not bad it's yeah and uh of course developing story there that polaroid are also launching roku tvs Yep. Boom, boom, Tish, here all week. Try the veal. Um, right, let's move on. I've got to talk about a TV uh, that is in for review at the moment. The Samsung QN95C review went up uh, on Friday. If you missed it, it's on the homepage. Uh, go check that one out. Um, that is their flagship 4K TV. 
even though they have a QDO LED, they insist that their QLED QN95C is the 4K flagship. I don't understand that one either, but there you go. Uh, so the one behind me is the Hisense. It's the U7K. Problem with Hisense last year, um, and they, they scored 7 out of 10 in their reviews last year, was that the models in the UK were different from models around the world, even though they had the same model number. And what we were finding was that people were watching YouTube videos of a review of the US version of that TV that had lots of dimmable zones and features that the UK set didn't have. The main one being that the US set was VA and the UK set was an IPS panel. So completely different picture quality, uh, but the same model number. And of course, people were watching YouTube, which is mm. global. The internet is global. Uh, so people watch these reviews and uh, they look and they see the product and the product number and assume you know, and quite rightly so, that it's the same product in the UK because it's got the same model. And they, they got found out uh, that it wasn't the same and lots of uh, people were quite uh, disappointed. So that was all fed back um, to Hisense last year. And credit to Hisense, they listened. They have changed it this year, so it's now a worldwide uh, set. So uh, anything with U7K, whether it's in the US, UK, Europe, whatever, uh, they are the same TV. Um, they may have slight differences in terms of tuners and so on because different countries, different uh, territories and so on. But the fundamentals uh, behind the TV in terms of picture quality, in terms of the panel, the picture processing and so on are exactly the same. Same dimming zones, same panels being used, uh, same processor and so on. And I've got to say they've stepped the game up this year. Um, picture quality uh, at this uh, level of the market, which is under £1,000, is really, really good. Um, it is a, a mini LED TV, um, it has a number of zones, um, I'll give you the exact number in the written review, we'll keep you hanging on for the written review, but we'll give you the exact uh, technical details within that. I've only just started testing the TV, there are a few little issues um, which have been fed back um, to Hisense, so uh, in terms of HDR it's a little bit aggressive in its clipping, so if you send it a 1000 net um, piece of content that's has 1,000 metadata. Um, it's clipping the TV um, and you're losing quite a bit of detail. Um, send it 600 nit and you get the full detail. Send it 1,000 nit, it's clipping. Send it 4,000 nits, it doesn't like it. It clips everything and 10,000 nits is not good. So it's a little bit too aggressive. So I've sent that back, uh, that feedback back to Hisense and asked them to have a look at it. They've said they're going to have a look at that and if they can fix it in firmware, they, they will fix it. It's not a major issue because um, there's very little over a thousand nits these days. There's the odd disc, it's maybe 4,000, but everything else tends to be around about a thousand in terms of uh, metadata that's on the on the discs. Um, the only other thing is it's a little bit further behind the Samsung in terms of local dimming algorithm. Um, again, it's high sense getting to grips with it. And it's nothing major, and it's nothing that I would put me off uh, using it as a second TV or whatever. Um, it's just you know, it's it's a slight issue there that it doesn't quite get as black. It doesn't quite handle the blooming in the same way. But then it doesn't do what the Samsung does. And the major thing with the Samsung is it it might do nearly two thousand nits peak brightness on a ten percent window. But you lose that because it's got blooming suppression and it immediately dims the image to try and stop the blooming and kills the dynamic range. So the high sense doesn't do that. Uh, but you do get a little bit more blooming. And this is one of the things that companies are wrestling with at the minute because you have Sony who uh, won't go for aggressive blooming suppression. They want 
more of the da dynamic range. So their black bars will light up if something is next to it in a two, three, five to one movie. Um, and there's a bright object next to the black bars. The black bars will light up on a Sony. And Sony say, that's deliberate. They, they do that because they want full dynamic range. They want to show you everything that's in the image. And they're trying to replicate what the BVM uh, grading monitors uh, are doing in their TVs. Whereas Samsung, their black bars are completely and utterly black. Um, even if a bright object goes close to them, uh, they're quite aggressive in terms of local dimming. The high sense is kind of in the middle. Uh, it's not quite as relaxed as the Sony, not quite as aggressive as the Samsung. Um, and I've been really impressed in terms of measurement. Uh, it's got filmmaker mode. Filmmaker mode is accurate. Um, it's obviously accurate out of the box. It's not going to be accurate for your environment or your video chain. But if you want something that looks good, and let's face it, you ain't getting this calibrated at the price point. You're not going to spend the four, 400 quid that it would cost you. Um, having something that, that is accurate out of the box um, like this is is really needed at, the, at this level of the market. And you know, Hisense do deliver on that one. Now, I've had it next to the TCL. I'm not going to spoil anything uh, in terms of uh, comparisons, but they are coming up uh, in the reviews. So keep your eyes peeled for the reviews. Uh, and again, quantum dot filter uh, in both of those TVs as well. So you've got really good color volume as well. Um, so yeah, they, this level of the market really starting to heat up. Um, and where companies have maybe moved away from the flagship side, apart from Samsung, who still ask a lot of money for their mini LED TVs, uh, Hisense, TCL, um, Sony still ask quite a bit of, of money for theirs, but uh, round about this kind of price point, round about a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds um, for a fifty-five, sixty-five inch screen size, uh, you're getting more uh, quality these days. You're getting better picture quality. You're getting um, filmmaker mode and modes like that. Uh, Dolby Vision also on a set like this. So when I was talking about clipping, I was talking about an HDR10 signal being fed to the TV. You feed it obviously a Dolby Vision signal. Uh, and it has dynamic metadata. So it tells the TV uh, scenes, scene for scene or frame for frame uh, what that scene should look like in terms of peak brightness and blacks and, and all the, everything in between. And the TV sorts it out within its capabilities. And I've got to say, uh, Dolby Vision does look very nice uh, on the Hisense and the TCL. So great TVs at this price point. And of course, the main thing here and the reason why people do still uh, navigate towards mini LED is because of the brightness in terms of a bright room and to get an OLED TV that would match these TVs in a bright room you're talking about a G3 from LG which is going to cost you uh, considerably more money or the S95C from Samsung is going to cost you considerably more money um, the Panasonic with the heat sinks going to cost you more money um, so yeah it's 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 a nice area of the market the other side is image retention you don't have those worries here uh, so if you're a heavy gamer somebody who likes to game a lot um, these TVs uh, shoot through as well. So the reviews are coming up. I've been looking at lots of mini LED TVs. Uh, still waiting on the Sony X95L coming in. Um, once that is is in and I've tested that, I'll have tested most of the, the big uh, TVs this year uh, in the mini LED side of things. So um, Jules, uh, they are still an important part of the market, even though for enthusiasts might tend to head towards OLED a little bit more. There's still a market for these TVs. Yeah, um, around that price point, absolutely. If you haven't got the money to go for a G3 or something like that, then then yeah, if you need that peak brightness, um, 
it's getting closer, isn't it? I mean, we, I mean, I did a Sony, I'm sorry, Samsung S90C last week, which was just over a thousand nits. Uh, they're quite reasonably priced. Um, uh, there, there is a, there is a place for them in that market though. Um, but we, we, you know, the OLEDs are pushing that envelope, aren't they? They're, they're really, you know, hitting the, the no longer can you say OLEDs are not bright enough no, because they no. are, you just got to have the cash, you know? So, yeah. um, there is a place for these TVs. Yeah, that's that's where we are at the moment. But the days are gone where where your first recommendation for somebody looking for yep. a TV is, well, if it's a bright room, you need a, a LCD TV. No, yep. you don't. You don't these days. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it looks like a very interesting part of the market. I've looked at three of the sets so far. Um, waiting on the Sony coming in, and of course we'll do all the comparison pieces. They'll all be measured. They'll all be calibrated, and so on. Um. And again, it's it's where filmmaker and Dolby Vision have value at this end of the market, uh, Jules, as well, because you know you're a professional calibrator, but you're not going to get people who spend a thousand pounds on a TV coming to you for for calibration. So these things do matter a little bit more, don't they? Uh, it's it's happened, um, but yeah, if you if you're not if if your TV is not as expensive, you're going to want to be more accurate out the box. Um, the problem with that is, though, that is that you know you run into tolerance of parts, you know. So, yeah. so you know, the cheaper the parts, the more variability there is. So it's kind of, you know, you give with one and take away with the other hand. Yeah, yeah. And this is where Dolby Vision was designed to be in the marketplace yeah. um, for yeah. these TVs that have the lower capabilities because it can be mapped uh, dynamically. Then, uh, in terms of using the metadata and making sure that that matches what. The TV is capable of. I mean, you're trying to get five pints into a two pint container exactly. in some cases. So, yeah, um, yeah, good stuff. Right. Um, any questions on TVs? We'll have a quick look now before I move on. So, um, let's very quickly. Uh, Paul Monger says he's just started a twelve hour night shift. Ah, don't miss twelve hour night shifts. Um, and feel free to stretch this episode out as long as possible. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, we're, we're, we'll do the the ninety minutes that we're uh, contracted for. <laughs> If you don't mind, I don't fancy doing a 12-hour shift. I know the other guys don't either. Uh, but hopefully it's a nice quick shift for you tonight, Paul. Uh, you could rewatch it. You could, yeah, just put it on loop. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he also said Barbie started out funny but soon got old. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I'm expecting. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, what about 8K except Samsung? I'm not really sure what that question is. If you want to give us a little bit more details, we'll come back to that one. And Paul, again... Uh, says he'd like to see a comparison between the TCL 98 QM8 and Samsung's new mid-range 98 uh, inch. Um, big screen sizes, I'd have to go to them. So getting them together uh, at 98 inches, um, logistically, is impossible, unfortunately. Um, and the M8 is not coming to the UK as far as I'm aware. So again, I'd have to jump on a plane and go and see it somewhere else. So. I think the the likelihood of those things happening are probably a little bit far stretched at the minute, but we'll see what we can do. Right, that's the questions uh, so far. If you've got questions, get them in on the live chat, or if you're watching or listening a little bit later in the week, don't forget you can use the forums. Go to the bottom of the forum list, find a podcast forum in this episode and ask your questions or send them on an email, podcast at avforums.com. We're going to home cinema next. If you'd like to support the AV Forums podcast on a regular basis, then why not become a patron? Head over to patreon.com forward slash AV Forums to sign up. You can also make a one-off donation through the Super Chat or via streamlabs.com forward slash AV Forums. 
All donations help us to improve the website and the podcasts. Thank you to all our supporters. Right, so home cinema section of the podcast. And again, quite a busy show tonight. We've got a few bits and pieces to get through here. So let's go to news first. Uh, Monitor Audio uh, have launched a new subwoofer series. Ian, tell us all about it. Uh, yes, three new subwoofers uh, coming our way in August uh, under the name of the Anthra Subwoofer Series. Uh, it's made up of the W10, W12 and W15 models, uh, with the names reflecting the size of the side, as you might have guessed. Uh, and also, as you might expect, there's a sliding scale in terms of both their output and the pricing. The running class D amplifiers offering peaks from 500 up to 2,500 watts. Uh, and price tags ranging from £1,650 to £2,500. Uh, subs come with CCAM cones, uh, and are the first in monitor audios range to use their new Rigid Surface Technology 2 system uh, to help reduce the distortion. And they also come with thickened MDF cabinets to add uh, extra strength. Uh, and as you might expect, they also come with access to the company's Maestro Unite app. Uh, and like I say, yeah, be coming out hopefully pretty soon, due out in August, so anytime soon, want to keep an eye on perhaps. Yeah, and uh, I, we've got these lined up for review as well. So, oh, good. Uh, I mean, historically, is... Monitor Audio has been pr- pretty good at these. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, the name is odd, uh, but uh, the technology, uh, it looks like it's going to be sturdy and relatively capable. Uh, I mean, obviously, all of these subs have their work cut out against the dedicated brands, but, you know, it, it sounds, if nothing else, the bald numbers look interesting. So I'll be interested to see how they get on once. Yeah, well, once uh, it's much Matt's looking at these, so um, that's his one of his big first reviews for AV Forum. So he's looking at those. So those should be coming up soon. I think there's a little bit of delay uh, getting the samples through, but once they're here, we'll be uh, getting stuck into them. And sticking with subwoofers and couch potatoes, uh, I think it's time to reveal what the couch potato CP8 is. I'm going to guess it's an eight-inch something because we're talking subwoofers. Uh, Martin, tell us a little bit. Uh, yeah, so this is the Earthquake CP8. Uh, I mean, Earthquake is a great name for a subwoofer company anyway, but yeah. uh, the CP obviously stands for <clears throat> Couch Potato, which is also a great name. So this is a subwoofer which is supposed to slide under a couch or under a bed, it's really a small room uh, subwoofer. You wouldn't expect uh, this subwoofer's output to <clears throat> really accommodate a large room, but that's the idea. It goes under furniture. It wouldn't fit under the couch in my home cinema room. So as advised in the manual, you can also butt it up to a sofa or even have some distance away from furniture. And it can also actually sit on its side. So. A typical application there might be between a sofa and a rear wall, for example. It's worth mentioning that this is not a seat shaker or a transducer. But that was a going to be my sub. question. Yeah, yeah, that was the first question I was going to ask. Is it a transducer? Because they were quite popular for a number of years, uh, and you did put them inside your furniture, inside your sofa, and so on. Yeah, most definitely not. So again, as a, I mean, as a category of product, I was slightly you know, confused about it, but it makes sense for Earthquake to move into this area. They're known really for in-car subwoofers, although they have a lot of res- residential products. 
and pro DJ products and that kind of thing. Well, this this is where I was going to come in, Martin, because this yeah. is, uh, if you look at any OEM uh, system in car audio nowadays, the subwoofers tend to be hidden underneath uh, yeah. the driver's seat and the passenger seats now. Um, certainly my Ford Puma was like that. And um, uh, the BMW that I tested recently with the Bowers and Wilkins, it had... It had transducers, but it also had subwoofers, eight-inch subwoofers under the, under the chair. So oh. that makes sense if they are in the automotive uh, side of things. Yeah, totally. And so I was um, uh, I was a little skeptical about it because I thought, you know, how can it sort of do what it claims to do, which is to shake the seat, but also produce uh, some kind of refinement uh, when it comes to movies and music as well. And I have to say, I was really, really impressed with it. It's a it's a great piece of kit. Um, I mean, just to go back to the specs, it's a low rise 19.3 centimeters in height and about 60 centimeters long. I, I couldn't get any information on the specific uh, manufacturing processes, but I assume it's an MDF box and the electronics and connections plate are actually on the on the underside on the belly. If you have the driver also facing downwards, which is exactly as it would be. It's an eight inch, sorry, it would be if it was um, un under furniture. It's an eight inch paper cone uh, driver. And like I said, the amp plate also faces downwards. Um, it's got 150 watts <clears throat> of output care of an a, a class AB amp, not class D with 300 watts claimed peak. Um, as well as gain, crossover, and phase controls, you can also link it up with a high-level connection if that's your preferred setup. Um, like I said, I mean, in tests, it really did produce a large amount of grunt and really managed to shake my sofa during the launch of Apollo 13 in the film of the same name. Uh, same in um, Interstellar as well in the shuttle sequences. It really was a very powerful output. I was really surprised. Because in my cinema room, I've got three MK X10s, and uh, while it obviously couldn't compete with that kind of output, nor its subtlety and uh, you know sheer weight, but it did a surprisingly good job for a single sub. And I think if you daisy chain two of them, it would be a pretty impressive output. Um, I was also surprised at how adept it was at music playback with it, you know, managing to disappear into the mix and allow rhythm sections to sound grounded and realistic um but certainly nothing offensive i did notice on a couple of occasions that the sub could draw attention it's to itself and say i'm here something that more uh perhaps reference subs wouldn't do so much um but uh you know this is not a high-end sub either um if you like i said if you have this in a bedroom or small living room i think you'll definitely feel its effects and really really like i said great sub for a small small room my big problem, though, Phil, is the pricing here. Yeah. It is more than twice the price GBP than in the United States. Ooh. Now, Earthquake has a direct sales model stateside. So I think we all get it here that when a distributor gets it, he's got to uh, he's got to deal with the overheads of warehousing and the rest of it and the overheads associated with distribution. But twice the price is just too much, and it almost takes this sub into a different um, product class category entirely. It's £690 here. Stateside, it's $399 plus tax delivered. Yeah. And another thing, just looking at the specs, um, 
this has been on the market for some time now yeah. in the States anyway, hasn't it? So it looks like it's been 13 years on the market. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, it's fairly niche. I mean, not just because it fits yeah, in a niche, yeah. but I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it, presumably you get the technology together and you go, well, that ain't broke, so we ain't going to fix it. Yeah. One thing that did occur to me, Martin, whilst you were describing this, presumably its performance is in some way going to vary depending on the sort of relative density and materials used in the furniture that, under which you've placed it. Yes, good good point. I think that would be the case. Um, I wasn't able to try it in too many different <laughs> locations or with different furniture types. I wish my flat was big enough. Well, but yes, yeah. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm sure all those things would uh, would play into the final result, yeah. In other words, if you if you if you for whatever reason have decided on church pews as your um, <laughs> as your chosen, it's probably yeah. not going to be as effective. So, yeah. You know, yeah, something to yeah. bear in mind. Yeah, but I, I guess Martin, for some of us out there, um, we don't have the luxury of having dedicated rooms, or we don't have the luxury of space. So something like this uh, that can be discreetly hidden away, um, but but again, give a, a fairly decent performance. Exactly nice that. Exactly yeah. that. And and in fact, when I opened it up, I for some reason it immediately screamed gaming to me. You know, I think it really is something that you know, if a you know a student or a gaming enthusiast, um, you know, has a has a portable projector in their digs or in their room or whatever, you know, I think that would uh, that would where it would find. Yeah. But again, the problem is the price. If it was at the the US dollar price, it makes sense. At the UK price, wow, yes, there's, there's far better products on the market, really. Yeah, although there isn't too much competition, I found here in the UK for this product category. I really uh, dug in deep on the internet, and there are quite a few products in Europe, but uh, there's very little that's apples to apples here in the UK. So it might mm. hold a, quite a unique proposition. Yeah, over here. Okay, uh, but yeah, interesting product. Um, it's it's definitely for those that are uh, a little bit short of space. But yeah, thanks very much for the review, Martin. And of course, Martin's review is on the homepage this week. If you listen to the podcast as it goes out, uh, it's in the top slot tonight. Uh, so go and have a look at that if you're interested in finding out a little bit more. And if you've got any direct questions uh, for Martin a little bit later in the week, shove them in the uh, discussion thread and uh, Martin will answer those when he's got the time uh, to have a quick look in. He, he shall do that now something a little bit different we don't normally do this um unless there, there is a gaming review to talk about and there is this week uh ian's actually written a game review uh something that he's been playing and it's not car wash simulator or powered wash simulator or how to make your tea simulator it's uh it, it's something else completely yeah there was a car wash simulator that came out recently <laughs> so that was quite close to hitting the, the mark but no, on, on this occasion it's a game called extra primal um, and if you like nothing more than teaming up with a bunch of friends to slaughter a relentless horde of rampaging dinosaurs who fall out of the sky at the behest of a surreal AI entity, then this could be the game for you. Because let's face it, who doesn't enjoy killing hordes of endless dinosaurs for fun? Um, it's available on uh, PC, Xbox, PlayStation, and it comes courtesy of the creator of the Dino Crisis series, which some of you might have heard of. Uh, and although this game isn't technically a part of the Dino Crisis franchise, it's not exactly a stretch to see those kind of arcade influences at play here. Um, one thing I'll do, I'll go against Norm. Normally I'll start with the positives and then drop the negatives in, but I'll start with the negatives, or rather the, the limitations of the game to start off with. First of all, 
it's multiplayer only, so there's no single playing campaign to speak of. And it also means that you know you need a constant online connection to play it. So if you've got a sketchy broadband and you keep dropping out, you're going to get kicked back to the game menu uh, quite a lot. Um, but it does come with cross-play on other platforms. Um, but if you want to hook up with friends, another limitation is it only applies if they're on the same Xbox or PlayStation network. So if you're on Xbox Series X, you can play with Xbox One gamers, but you can't play with PS5, PS4 and PS5 gamers and vice versa. Um, the other thing to add is that there's currently only one game mode for it. It's a mode called uh, Dino Survival, um, which is basically a five versus five PVE race to the finish line. Um, there's a few PVP elements thrown in for good measure if you like shooting people rather than just dinosaurs. Um, but essentially, um, yeah, it, it's it's two teams racing against each other. The first people, first team to complete the missions wins basically but it doesn't matter if you win or lose all the time you're constantly leveling up and you're evolving um that it does mean that therefore you know there's only 12 game modes or game or game mission types to, to that get rotated which does mean there's going to be a lot of repetition limits presumably all mode. of them involve killing a healthy quantity of dinosaurs <laughs> it's pretty much i mean yeah there's basically flowering yes. up in some slight variants but basically just Pods open up in the sky, dinosaurs drop out, and it's like, right, go kill them. First, first thing you with. And it's, I mean, what? I mean, it's a simple premise, and you'd think you'd get bored of it after a while. And to be fair, there is a lot, there's a bit of a grind, there is a bit of a repetition, but it's quite hard to get bored of because it is just that simple trigger clenching arcade fun. Um, it does come, there's like a, a choice of 10 exosuits. You basically get to dress up in mech suits to do it, which makes it, you know, even more empowering for some. And it's nice because there's quite a mix of them as well. So you get they all come with their own unique abilities and sort of so you can develop your own style. Um, people that play a lot of games will be familiar with like the assault class, uh, the tank class, and the support classes, which these suits kind of uh, all kind of factor into. Um, and then so you can kind of tailor things your own way. Like I say, they come with their unique abilities. You can unlock. So you can kind of fine tune up to ten basically different characters depending on how you want to play. Uh, and the good thing is, even though Good players will always level up fast and they'll be the biggest and the best. And they'll, you know, you'll walk into a gunfight at some point, be dead in a second and not know why. And it's just because that guy over there's been playing it for like four weeks and you've been playing it for four hours. Um, but it does have that kind of that nice variety where even if you are a bit rubbish, you can just kind of stand at the back and still feel like you're contributing in some way. <laughs> there's, there's always that kind of, you know, feeling of being involved. Quite, you know, <laughs> Like the, the support class is a favourite. I found it on Battlefield 2042 and I was rubbish on that. Just being a support class, just to run around and heal people. Keep the, keep the, keep the guys who are really good in the fight. It kind of keeps you involved and, it's, and, it, and it makes you feel like you're doing Great something even if you're not really sure what you're doing. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's good fun. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and that really is kind of the essence of the positives is that even though it's a bit of a grind, uh, it is still good fun for the sort of the duration of how long you decide to play it for, which does kind of factor into whether it becomes value for money. Because uh, if you want to buy it at full price, it'll cost you £50. But the plus side is it is a day one Game Pass release. So if you're on PC or Xbox and subscribe to Game Pass, uh, you can effectively play it for free. I'll put it in air quotes before people say it's not free if it's on Game Pass, but you still pay the monthly subscription fee for it. Um, so if you are on Game Pass, then it becomes a bit more of a, Hey, why not? Because, like I say, it's a lot of fun either in short bursts or if you settle down. It has that nice kind of, oh, I'll just have one more match mentality to it. So you think you're going to play it for 10 minutes, end up playing it for three hours, and you don't really know where the time's gone. Um, one one sort of upside of it that I will 
think is worth giving credit to is that even though it is a multiplayer only game, Capcom have done a really nice job of kind of wrapping the package up in what feels like a single player campaign framework. By that, I mean, it's got cutscenes, it's got a load of video and audio files to unlock as means of exposition to kind of explain just why these dinosaurs are dropping out of the sky and why this rampant AI has made you travel back in time to when the dinosaurs first started dropping out. I'm not going to explain the story. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> but the fact is, it doesn't have to make sense. But what Capcom has done, they've, they've kind of justified it to an extent. They've explained it. They've put some effort into making you feel like you're progressing through a story. Uh, and to help with that, what they've done, rather than just dropping all the content on you at the start, they kind of, you unlock or things sort of develop and progress as you play through more and more matches. So at the start, you'll just be facing like, you know, a horde of angry raptors. And, you know, it's quite straightforward. But then by the time you get deeper into the game, you're fighting raptors, pterodons, a giant T-Rex will come wandering out of nowhere. You'll have carnosaurs, stegosaurus, the, the works, and it becomes absolute carnage in the, the best possible way. But it kind of escalates that up so you, you're not dropped into that. It takes its time and it makes it... Ian, feel, again, I'm, I'm assuming when you say that they drop out of the sky, they don't... They're, they're, it's from a safety... You know, they don't just sort of like turn no, into literally, a sort of... it's like 10 feet above your head. Oh, right, okay, fine. They don't it's just sort of like... Yeah, hit it's, like, it's like a vortex appears in the sky. And so you get a bit of warning of where they're going to drop out. It's not like they oh, just right. boom from nowhere. So oh, yeah, it, that it sounds more of, reasonable. It would be more... I yeah. sorry, I was wondering actually if the danger of the dinosaurs was actually that they were dropping from several thousand feet <laughs> at speed and they were just simply <laughs> squashed. Yeah. That would be yeah. a real doubt. You spent hours and hours investing in this patch and all of a sudden everyone gets wiped out by a T-Rex just going... Mm. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, well, I don't know, it could add yeah. to the fun. You can actually get to play some of the T-Rexes and some of the bigger animals as well. You've got this thing called Dominators uh, where at various points in the match, each side will get to kind of drop a player in it's a playable uh, alpha dinosaur basically so you can roam into the other team's game while they're trying to make as fast a progress as they can through the game like you could drop a t-rex or a triceratops and go around paging through them and sort of wipe out as much of their squad as they can to slow them down so that's quite another fun little quirk of it. and it does add a tactical element as well because there's a final mission in the game where you're playing more directly alongside each other so whilst you're both trying to complete the same mission you can kind of stop and start shooting each other for fun if you like so you're kind of thinking you want to focus on shooting dinosaurs or should we focus on shooting each other what are we doing it, it's kind of it, it mixes it up quite nicely but is that is that a whoopi goldberg uh cameo uh, in there oh. <laughs> the team uh, the ian predates theodore rex oh does he yeah he so he does yeah he, he um, won't get that you won't but, get the reference i mean you could it'd be interesting it's the first you could time use... in a long time i've made you feel young you could use um, the uh, game engine for Theodore X, the computer game, and frankly, I urge Capcom to, to crack on with that right now because yeah. I'd physically buy a copy. There's DLC on the way. You never know your luck. <laughs> as long as you could persuade Wookie Gobo back to voice her character, I wonder yeah. how much money, whether the entire gross domestic product of the United States... Yeah, I don't think we need to see Wookie Gobo in that jumpsuit, though, do we? No, no, perhaps not. No, no. Right, uh, Ian, thank you very much for... The games review uh, and there's more games review coming up um one's going to drop in a couple of days you said isn't it so you're going to uh, yeah to i do have something on the way tectonica next uh, it's a new pc game on the way and i think that might also be on xbox game pass as well but i'll have to double check okay excellent well uh, if you're interested in that keep an eye on the homepage. it'll be popping up uh, in a couple of days and uh, we're heading over to ed's hi-fi corner next if you enjoy the podcast on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, then please leave us a rating on your podcast app.
we invite you to email questions and feedback to podcast at avforums.com and join in with this episode's discussion thread in the podcasts forum at avforums. Right. Okay. It's me talking for a bit. Um, I can't match dinosaurs falling from the sky. Um, so, uh, I mean, I need to get that in early. Uh, I also need to kick off by um, saying uh, a farewell because it's time for Jules to do his physical exercise. So uh, thank you for your... Yeah, I've got to catch up with Phil. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's becoming intensely competitive. <laughs> well, it's intensely competitive <laughs> for some of you, not all of us. But, um, yeah, but no, Jules. potatoes here. <laughs> Yeah. See you, Jules. <laughs> See you later, Jules. Cheers, guys. Right. Um, okay. Uh, it's relatively quiet out there at the moment. We have just the one news story. Um, but um, uh, Ian will cover some of the basics. A, a speaker brand is returning to the UK um, because they've got a new distributor. Uh, yeah, Audio Physic. It's the, the company in question. After force myself not to say psychic every time I read it out because when I was typing I always had psychic in my head and, yes. and there's a correlation there I'm sure um but yeah it's one of those stories where the headline pretty much sums everything up with uh audio psychic uh German company making uh high-end speakers sign a distribution deal in the UK with Cyrus Audio um company previously had a deal in place with Elite Audio UK and it looks like uh that they'll remain on the list of retailers but this is a new partnership which looks to further uh, yes. Increase their profile and their presence in the UK with Cyrus Audio already, you know, well established on its own for its uh, amplifier, CD players, and streams. Um, admittedly, Audio Physics, I nearly said Psychic, Audio Physics, uh, it's a, a new name on me, so I, I can't say too much uh, about their speakers, but, you know, they look like they do some good stuff. Uh, no, I can take over at that bit. They do make some excellent speakers. Um, it, this is good news for all concerned. Um, Audio Physics had been around for a while. Um, and on all the occasions I've heard their speakers, both in the UK and abroad, I've generally been very impressed. Uh, I think it helps Cyrus um, in terms of having something to partner up with. Uh, they, for years, they were distributors of Vienna Acoustics, um, and that sort of fell by the wayside. Uh, this is uh, another decent match for Cyrus equipment, and it's bringing what is a very, very strong range of speakers to a wider audience. Uh, I mean, Elite Audio have done a fine job. They are very, very capable distributors, but um obviously cyrus gets into lots and lots of dealers and hopefully uh, there will be some take up on the audio physic product uh because it's very very good uh if you're interested in me having a look at some i'm sure that we can speak to cyrus and get something sorted there but um no that that's good news for all concerned that's about it for news it's been a bit quiet really um so i will then move on to talking about uh, review which is already on the front page so i'm not going to go into this at in, in extensive detail but um the spate of anniversary products that i was talking about in the podcast that we did last time um is continuing in no uncertain terms uh blue sound has been around for a bit less time than um uh, some of the other people celebrating their anniversaries but 10 years of making streamers is no small undertaking more impressively as best as i know i'm sure that someone will leap into the comments if i've got this wrong I'm pretty sure that every single Blue Sound product ever made, so long as it physically is in working condition, will still join a Blue OS network of products and still talk and play nice with all of the new things. Now, that's a much more meaningful achievement 
Um, to be in business for 10 years is one thing. To keep everything supported in what is a relatively fast-moving, by high, hi-fi standards anyway, a relatively fast-moving category, that's a much bigger deal. So the node X, uh, the X marking the spot meaning 10 in this instance, um, it's basically the same uh, layout as the standard node, which we've also reviewed sometime in the past. But um, visually, it's silver. Uh, which you may or may not like. There were some people not impressed by that at all in the comments, but other people were more positive. And I have to say, I think it looks quite smart. They have then, on a more meaningful level, uh, done two things. The first is they've changed the DAC. It's gone from Burr Brown to an ESS unit. It's an altogether nicer DAC. It's more in keeping with what NAD use on their Blue Sound digital uh, devices. And uh, this is um, a useful step forward. They've, without really changing the way of how it sounds, it's, it is it is meaningfully better, a uh, bit more detail. Uh, the measurements on the ESS stacks are extremely good. And so long as they've been implemented with any degree of sort of talent, uh, they can be made to sound extremely effective. Um, the other fitment is more interesting and it had much more of an effect than i thought it was going to if you look at a standard node you'll see that that's got a three and a half mil headphone socket on the front this has a full fat 6.35 mil uh socket and behind it is a thx triple triple a um now in the same way that ian has issues with uh, audio physic and psychic i keep wanting to call this an aromatic um, amplifier but it's achromatic uh, amplifier um, we've tested uh, something certified with this before but that was a little standalone dongle this is the first time I've seen one fitted in a product it makes a massive difference to how this product sounds as a headphone amp uh, in so much as I would genuinely recommend using it as a headphone amp it's a significant step forward it did really really impressive things running with a pair of Focal Clear MGs which is twice the price of the Node um, I was really, really taken aback by just how much of a step forward it is. Now, um, the Node X, before I go any further, this is only going to be available until the end of 2023. Um, it's uh, a, li a limited run product. I'm, uh, I'm, there's no real limits within that. They'll, they'll try and keep churning them out to the end. Um, but after 2023, it's just the standard Node only. I really, really hope if anyone from Blue Sound or NAD or Lembrook is listening to this, I genuinely want to see more of this headphone amp being used in other products. It is extremely impressive. And if they've gone to the effort of engineering it and getting it fitted, I would really, really like to see more of it. Um, there's a photo of my cat in the uh, background of uh, that photo. She spent the entire time this product was on review hiding behind it for reasons I've not fully understood. Um, there is, um, uh, there, there, I mean, otherwise, the performance is um, a step forward. The, what's interesting is obviously in the not too distant past, I reviewed the Eversolo DMP A6, which is £50 more than the Node 10, Node X. Um, I won't beat around the bush. The Eversolo is the better product. Uh, it does more, it has better connectivity, uh, it's a more impressive piece of construction, it has a full color display. The thing is, in the many, many, many comments on the Eversolo thread, there were people who were concerned that an Android platform product, um, they were concerned about its longevity and how long it's going to be supported for and, you know, whether Eversolo slash Zidoo can be relied upon to do that sort of thing. 
Um, it's not for me to say whether they will or won't, but if you have concerns of that nature, a company celebrating its 10th anniversary who still kept everything they've made running, that's going to put your mind at rest. And the um, the Nodex keeps the EverSolo honest. Um, it's a really lovely piece of software as well, Blue OS. It's fully Rune compatible as well if you want to use that instead. This is a really, really capable streamer. And if you are shopping for one before the end of the year, I'd, I'd give it a listen. Um, it's genuinely impressive. If you're using them over both of them over RCA, the gap narrows a bit. Um, the Eversolo's got XLR as well, which would be useful for some people. Um, so no, give it a listen. I was genuinely impressed by it. Uh, it got a best buy. Um, if you've got any questions, I'll do my best to answer them. But it's it's a really, it, it, I have to say, I think it's one of the less cynical um, anniversary products uh, that have gone through because it's still sensibly priced. It does some different things to the usual one. And I think it looks forwards rather than just sort of sits there celebrating mm. and resting on its laurels. So, so I was, sorry. Who's the, who's the consumer for this? Who's, who's the person that this is going to suit the most? Yeah. If you are in a position where you are um, fed up with perhaps indifferent streaming and streaming service support built in on your AV receiver, this is an absolute, must look at because blue os is unconditionally stable um it supports everything bar apple music uh, and it does it in a really slick and, and cohesive way if you're then looking at adding more blue sound products to your house blue os supports up to 42 products on a on a network um and you've got to have well basically you're running a bed and breakfast by the time that that's an issue isn't it so um that it's able to do multi-room and just basic non-irritating stability in a way that you know a lot of the inbuilt upmp processes on av receivers simply can't match mm. if you are one of the unusual set of people buying a stereo amplifier with no digital inputs and so on and so forth this is also a very useful thing to look at. It has one other feature for stereo amp users, less so much AV receiver users that may come in handy. Unlike the EverSolo, the Blue Sound has HDMI ARC. Now, it's not as perfect an implementation of HDMI ARC as a one-box device, because whilst you can adjust the volume of it using your TV, it's never going to raise up past the level that the amplifier to which it's connected to is set to. So essentially, you can only lower the volume. Uh, but nevertheless, it will turn on, select the correct input if your TV is connected to it. So if you are using a stereo amp with no digital input, it will connect up quite effectively and give you an extra an extra sort of layer of, um, of TV integration as well. Um, it's also, obviously, there is the proviso that when I say something is idiot proof, someone goes and builds a better idiot. But you have to go some to fail to set this up correctly and to have it fall off networks and things like that. It's unconditionally stable. So okay. it's streaming without any of the faff and it's just everything that blue sound is good at celebrated in one silvery box. Excellent. Is your microphone wobbling about head? Uh, no, I think my head is, um, oh. uh, no, the table possibly. So we'll All see right. where we go. Okay. No, well, Right, um, um, I think we just need your album, Vinyl and Playlist recommendations. Yeah, well, there we go. Um, album uh, is the album of the podcast because, it, as far as I know, it has no physical release. Um, London Grammar, beloved of audiophiles. I mean, you know, it's it's effortlessly, as a group, they're climbing effortlessly into the um, hi-fi show stereotype band selection. Um, you know, very high rates of playback. Um, they've released a remix album on Friday. 
and uh, some of the remixes are very, very good. Some of the remixes are not so good, um, but worth the price of admission alone, without really telling anyone, there are two tracks which have not previously been released by London Grammar, which are actually on there as well. One of them called, um, where's it gone? Uh, Dancing, I think it's Dancing by Night. Um, that's uh, absolutely outstanding. Um, it's not been um, it's not been on any of the albums previously. It's it's really really good to listen to. Um, there are some other you know relatively up you know famous uh, electronic acts have, have have stuck their oar in on that. Um, it's on all the major streaming services. You get one hour and twenty three minutes of it, and you know some of them. As I say, it's not it's it it's not like all remix albums. You'll you'll gel with some more than others, but I thoroughly enjoyed it um it's got some good tunes on there um and it's a it, they've managed most of them managed to keep the you know sort of salient points of london grammar which is uh the the lead vocalist sounds outstanding so yeah that's that's album uh vinyl release um i ummed and ahed about this one right this is um hang on a second i need to get this right because i keep saying it's one thing and it's actually something completely different um, it is Star Catcher, not Star Chaser. Star Catcher by Greta Van Fleet. Now, Greta Van Fleet is an American band who fundamentally claim that they are not a Led Zeppelin tribute act, but they are a Led Zeppelin tribute. <laughs> um, they released two albums, um, and both of those were extremely good, provided that you accepted what they were and you ignored their protestations that they weren't. They were good fun to listen to. Then they released a third album. And you know, when you start to believe your own hype? Yeah, it was that. Um, and it was, I don't think I've ever made it through in one sitting. I, I own it, but my God, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to listen to. It, it was a bit of a mess. This is fundamentally them revisiting what went right about the first two albums. Um, and it's a good listen. And the reason this is the vinyl release, not just because it allows me to talk about two different albums. You can listen to this on high res on streaming services that have high res. And it's obviously in the resolutions that the other streaming services have as well. It might well be in high res, but this is not a high resolution recording. This is very much a an album where if you want to um, overcome perhaps some of the uh, issues in its production, you want to listen to a fundamentally warm, cuddly and forgiving format in which to do it. So that's why I'd suggest it on vinyl if you have the option to listen to it. I'm afraid, like everything else the band has released, it is absurdly expensive. Um, I think it's a bare minimum 30 quid for the bog standard release. And if you want one in funky colors, well into the thirties for a single dish, uh, single dish, single disc release, which I think is a bit harsh, but nevertheless, um, it's a good listen. It's good fun. And if you've got all the Led Zeppelin back catalog, it's a way of listening to sort of Led Zeppelin sounds without, you know, listening to more Led Zeppelin. Um, and then uh, further to uh, the uh, discussions we had at the start of the podcast, I do hope that Phil's going to dig this out for his trip to the cinema tomorrow, because if you don't want to listen to the Barbie album, Spotify has gone and put it all together as a playlist for you. Oh, dear God. Um, so I think that Phil needs to listen to that in his car to get into the spirit on the way down to the Barbie movie. And I'd be very disappointed if he doesn't. So that's why it's, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, there's, 
it, the summer is perhaps not a great time for playlists on any streaming services. It normally switches into music for being by the pool. And I don't know about anyone else here, but the weather in the UK has not been conducive to being anywhere near a pool at the moment. So no, I looked no, at this no. and I thought, why not? So uh, that's on Spotify. And I'm fairly sure that uh, Andy will drop the links to all of these things into the comments section at a later point, And you can enjoy the Barbie official playlist. And I hope that you genuinely do. Yeah, I'm sure I will. <laughs> right. Um, before we wrap up tonight, reviews coming uh, in the next month because we're we're fast getting to the end of July, nearly into August. So, Ed, what you got coming up for us uh, in the next few weeks? And Still to come in the ones that are already in the tank, there is uh, the DCS Lena, which I've talked about previously uh, as a preview, um, and the EPOS stand mount speaker. Um, that's a much more interesting thing, and I will talk about that in the podcast when it goes live. Um, in terms of um, things that are in my house and I'm doing, I've got a powered speaker from ELAC, which is absurdly good value, actually Q acoustically challenging good value. Um, I've got more blue sound in the form of the PowerNode Edge. And do you remember the ultra limited edition NAD limited uh, amplifier we looked at with the wooden cheeks yeah. and VU meters? We've got the unlimited edition version of that. Okay. And now I ummed and ahed about whether we would go back and visit it, but I had a presentation from them and it is intriguingly different. And do you know what? My findings about it are intriguingly different as well. Mm. So that's the happen. Um, further away, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get PMC's affordable prodigy loudspeaker and we've got some name coming up as well because we haven't looked at that for a while okay paul munger saying thanks ed uh, barbie album looks like the 12 hour night shift is sorted i would agree um so oh, happy to help always yeah. right uh, in terms of reviews coming up soon martin what have you got lined up for us uh well i've just been taking a look at the primaire swedish company primaire 35.8 which is an eight-channel, presumably home cinema, uh, power amplifier, Class D, and uh, I've slotted that into my home cinema, and I will reveal all very soon. I've also got the Yamaha RX A4A uh, seven-channel AV receiver, which I'll be giving the once-over very soon as well. Okay, excellent. Uh, and like I said earlier on, um, currently got two TCL TVs in, uh, the C745, C845, uh, the Panasonic turned up, so that's a 55-inch MZ980. I'm also looking at the 4Movie Theatre, uh, Hisense PX1 Pro Ultrashot Throw Projector. I've also got a BenQ W4000i projector uh, to look at. A couple of soundbars, uh, one from LG, one from Samsung, and I've also got a 4K UHD player. For review, Ooh, a, a new beast. one, a new one to the market. So um, I'm really, it's been spinning all night here. It's very impressive. I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, when it comes up for review. Uh, right. So I think we're all, all up to date. I think we've we've caught up with everything we need to catch up with. And uh, just looking that there aren't any new questions tonight. But if you do have questions you want us to to look at answer, uh, or if you've got general feedback for us, then do send them in best way of doing that is head over to avforums.com, go down to the bottom of the forum list and find AV Forums uh, podcast forum. Go in there, find this episode and leave your questions. Or you can send us an email, the old-fashioned way, podcast at avforums.com. Uh, there's no podcast next week because July is one of those months where there's a, an extra Monday 
so the movies team will be back on Monday, the 7th of August at 8.30, uh, which is their normal time. And we'll be back with the Forums podcast on the 14th of August, uh, starting at our usual 7pm time. But that's it for this week. So my thanks to Jules, who disappeared earlier. Uh, we've also had Martin, Ian and Ed. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers, Phil. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then of course you can do all the social media cliched stuff like liking it and subscribing and all that kind of thing. And I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for watching and listening and we'll see you next time. Good night.